Dr. Amalia Gonyas-Malka. Welcome to Womanity, Woman in Unity, the show that celebrates prominent and ordinary African women's milestone achievements in their struggles for liberation, self-emancipation, human rights, democracy, racism, socioeconomic class division, and gender-based violence. Joining us on the line today is Ms. Dibolelo Kathleen Machlatsi from the African National Congress, who is a member of parliament that serves on the portfolio committees of higher education, science and technology, as well as agriculture, land reform and rural development. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Doctor. I'm quite happy to be part of the discussion today and good morning to your listeners. We're so glad you can join us in our series on female parliamentarians representing different political parties in the country. Recently, the African National Congress celebrated its 110th anniversary. What a milestone. And it is South Africa's oldest liberation movement, which has an aim to create a united, non-racial, non-sexist, and democratic society. To start with, Please, can you tell us what made you choose politics as a career path? For me, as a young woman, politics, it was not an, I wouldn't say it was a career path, but it was part of the lifestyle. I grew up in a family of activists. My mother was a brand secretary of the ANC. She then later learned um the AIDS Women's League and the South African Communist Party. My father was also an activist in his own right as a sports person. So to me, uh, politics was part of our growth in the family. Now, when we joined the Youth League or politics back in the days, I joined the Youth League as a member of the ANC Youth League. And the funny story is how we joined um, the, the, the movement. We joined the movement as pioneers. Pioneers were those who were below even the age of 14, which was the eligible year or age for one to join the ANC Youth League. So when our parents were going to the ANC meetings, we would just go with them to meetings. So because we're not supposed to get into the meetings, we'll stay outside. So when we stay outside as mothers, you know, back in the days, we did not have nannies and so on. So we would all go with them to the meetings. So the comrades who were from the youth league then would teach us the, you know, the slogans, the songs that they sang in the in exile. We would be marching outside. That's how we joined the youth league as pioneers. And then later... In the years, I then became the branch secretary of the ANC for my branch in Steve Pohachu branch in, in Bloemfontein. That's how I got to join the politics of the ANC. And since then, I've been part of this a wonderful trajectory as an activist in the movement. You know, one of the things that has always stood out for me in conversations that we've had with different representatives from the ANC is the 50-50 gender equality policies. How does the party get this right to ensure that women are represented equally throughout its structures? Um, Doctor, you know, when when ANC Women's League took this particular journey to make sure that women 
are equally represented in the ANC structures. It was during 2017 Bolokan Conference. But the most important thing is that when that process took over, the ANC Women's League or the ANC itself took society along. Because what I loved about that particular process, it was not only focusing in structures of the ANC, but it was a societal issue where we are saying women have arrived at a point where they must ascend to political power and women are equal to the task and uh, women are equal members of the ANC. And when you look at the movement generally, women are in majority. You know, uh, Doctor, when this process started, I was basically against it for one reason and one reason only, to bring the contrast into the debate. I was among those who were saying, why should we be 50-50 because we are in majority? That means we'll never win the struggle of women ourselves alone because we'll have 50% of men and 50% of ourselves. And that means we'll never be in majority. But I, I learned to appreciate the fact that this is a journey and male counterparts are not necessarily the enemy. We just need to bring society together that we are equal members of society, we are equal to the task, and we are capable as women. And therefore, this, this particular trajectory towards 50-50 became a huge milestone, not only for the ANC, but for the movement holistically and society at large. So how we got it together, and it has been quite helpful that in whatever thinking in whatever policy issue that we discuss, there's a gender lens that we look at it. And we are quite happy that we got to where we are, but still more needs to be done. So with this motion, it was really initiated by the ANC Women's League as a structure within the organization. Can you tell us more about how you see the relevance of the ANC Women's League for women of today? Um. ANC Women's League, uh, Doctor, it has been the voice of women. Back in the days, during the days of Mam Charlotte McClake, Lilian Goy, and many others. And it has transformed and it has evolved as society evolved. That is why uh, many may say the Women's League only play a fundamental role when it comes to gender-based violence, but nothing else and nothing more. But in the space that I operate in, I would say the ANC Women's League has played a fundamental role in society in general. For instance, even the 50-50 gender issue, it came through the Women's League. And for women of our generation, it has actually adopted a desk that is accommodative of younger women. And this particular desk, it's there to see to it that young women in the movement their needs, their aspirations are met because we are different generations within structures of the movement. So its relevance remains at the center because it will continue to advocate for needs of women. Like we have already indicated that gender-based violence has become the scourge of society and has become an issue. Actually, it has become the second pandemic so for the AIDS Women's League to be on the rise and being the driver of this awareness, it clearly indicates that it remains relevant in society even today. 
You mentioned a very important point, which for me is the impact that policies and permutations that the ANC Women's League has within the ANC itself as a structure has tremendous ripple effects in society. So I think that that's almost a, a latent observation of what happens within a party and the ripple effects into society so that we can perpetuate certain narratives that not that don't only remain within the political sphere that that extend to other areas definitely doctor and um you know we we as activists in the movement we don't exist for ourselves for us as activists activism is our ability to advocate for the needs of the voiceless that is why it becomes important that we find our policies, they find resonance within the broader society, especially the working class and the poor. However, I always say words must be followed by action. They become meaningless if there is no action taking place. Therefore, it becomes quite critical that whatever policy imperative that becomes government policies, they are implemented and it becomes our duty as activists, and for myself as a member of parliament to make sure that in whatever portfolio committees that I serve in, we follow through policy initiatives, uh, policy elements from the ANC of the movement itself, because we cannot run away from the fact that the ANC is the governing party, therefore its policies ought to find expression in society. But like I said, the policies of the ANC are not just policies that are found somewhere else, they must resonate within the broader needs of society. You've highlighted some of your responsibilities as an activist, as a parliamentarian and commitment to service. But in any job, what we've uncovered during the conversation with women who operate in different sectors is that there are challenges that they have to overcome. So from your perspective, what do you perceive to be some of the core challenges for female parliamentarians? Part of the challenges um, as women in parliament or as women parliamentarians is the fact that patriarchy remains a societal issue. That women as leaders, the general expectation they would is that they must always do double the job compared to our male counterparts. And I'm saying this thing precisely because we've got beautiful policies, we've got equity issues and so on and so on. But unfortunately, uh, when it comes to issues of women, we must climb the table to make sure that our voices are heard. And which is something that transgresses the positives that we have moved, the trajectory of progressing as society. So I think that is one key element. Two is the fact that women, as much as we are leaders, we find it very difficult to make sure that issues of women are finding expression in all spheres of government. That means there is a lack of implementation on issues relating to women. That is why even today, as a critique to our own government to a large extent, even though it's an ANC-led government, we are still finding it very difficult to get 50-50 of women in executives, 
50-50 as, as senior managers in government, you know, we still have that challenge of meeting those equity elements. And I'm, I'm always saying this thing that our inability to find women in senior executive senior positions of government or anywhere else in, in, in the state, it makes it very difficult for issues of women to find space, to find resonance in society. Even in the judiciary, look at our benches, how many women are there and how many men are there. I think one of the main fundamental issues is patriarchy and it needs women to join hands to work together and also to make sure that our male counterparts, they become part of the change that we want to see in society. Patriarchy is certainly an unfortunate heritage that burdens us. But as we've seen, we have the capacity and the power to drive change. So if we can drive change together with men and women in a united front, we've got opportunities to benefit both genders and, let's say, even some genders that, that don't conform to, to the binary standards. Hi, I'm Zonke Dikana, a South African Afro-soul musician, songwriter and producer. You are listening to Womanity, Women in Unity on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Today, we're talking to Ms. Dibulelo Kathleen Mahatsi from the African National Congress, who is a member of parliament that serves on the portfolio committees of higher education, science and technology, as well as agriculture, land reform and rural development. We would love to receive your comments on Twitter at Womanity Talk. Ms. Mahatsi, I wanted to turn our attention now towards the specific portfolio committees that you serve on, which are namely higher education, science and technology, as well as agriculture, land reform and rural development. Can you highlight a few of the focal points that these portfolio committees have in relation to women? You know, um. I'm quite happy with this particular question because these two portfolio committees are quite central to my heart, precisely because as a young woman, with the challenges that South Africa is facing today, with unemployment and especially youth unemployment, these two portfolio are quite central in making sure they are main economic drivers. Because in our decade, in this particular decade, infrastructure, manufacturing, as well as uh, agriculture, are the main economic drivers. Therefore, they become uh, quite central. And for you to have an economic driver, you also need the necessary skill, which is provided through higher education and training in science and innovation. Now, these two, are, to me, are quite central in the economic growth of our country. Now, when we speak about their role or specific issues that relates to women empowerment, I think um, with higher education and training, it is quite important to have skilled individuals to be able to drive the economy. Therefore, higher education and training are quite central in making sure that we've got young men and women will be able to be educated enough to move from being semi-skilled to skilled individual, because in actual fact, people might think agriculture is a simple, um, is about plowing and so on. Agriculture is one of the most expensive industries. I can tell you, you need skilled individual in that particular space. But however, it's one space that can accommodate many women. 
And I think women generally, as mothers, as, as naturists and so on, they have shown so much interest in the agricultural space and we have seen so much that has been done. And this is where you see massive massification in as far as employment is concerned. And that's why you see massive massification in as far as making sure that women are empowered. And I can make an example in as far as um, when I'm saying agriculture is quite expensive. During the unrest in July in KZN, we went there to do oversight. We visited, I think, three or four farms where we saw young women who are farm owners, who are working the ground, who are not just executives who are coming to visit farms. No, no, no. Women who are working the farms, who will tell you that during the unrest, in just one week, they lost a million. In just one week, we went to a piggery farm where this woman is employing more than 50 people. Therefore, these two, higher education and training, is critical in building the necessary skill and capacity in the country. And agriculture, over and above employment, it, it assists us in as far as food security is concerned. And it becomes critical that women become part of this particular journey because we want to live on women being able to plow, being able to sustain themselves and be able to empower themselves and bring others along. You've really demonstrated the almost, I would say, integration effect between higher education, acquiring the right skill set, being able to put that into economic productivity, whether it is in infrastructure, manufacturing, or looking at some of your specifics in your portfolio from an agricultural perspective. Education certainly rings true to your heart. It is a tool of empowerment. You studied at the Central University of Technology, as well as the University of the Free State. Please, can you tell us what role education has played in your life? Um, like I've said, uh, Doctor, that um, I'm from a working class family. However, my mother was a nurse. So during my high school days, I always wanted to become a lawyer. So I enrolled in the University of the Free State immediately after matric. I did my first year, I did my second year. But unfortunately, uh, given the challenges of coming from a working class background, um, we ran out of funds. I had to drop out of university. It was such a painful experience for me because I couldn't qualify for NSFAS at that time because of the issues that led to the fees must fall in 2016 in as far as the missing middle, where you've got parents who are working but could not afford to take their kids, but equally their children could not even be eligible for financial aid from the state. But I had to go back home. I went back home. And um, later on in life, I got a job as a secretary in government department. That's when I then, the first year after being employed, I took myself back to school. That's when I went to the Central University of Technology because at that time, you could only study within the space that you were employed. So that's why I did public management. Then I did my degree in public management, like currently, I'm doing my postgrad. I'm a very ambitious person when it comes to academic work. That's why I, I, I really want to be a doctor one day. I want to tend to do my PhD before I turn 45. But like I've always said, with the girls that I'm mentoring, I move with, it's not about where you are now, it's where 
your journey is going. So I'm putting my eye on the ball in as far as education, because education is quite central to building a better society. We can never have a, a transformative society when we have unskilled individuals, whether in government, in the private sector, in our NGOs and so forth and so on. We need skilled individuals and education is quite central to building a better society. You've highlighted a reality for many young people and um, your experience I, I shared as well in terms of going off to university, starting with your studies, getting to your second year and then running out of funds to be able to continue and, and complete your qualification. But the reality is that that knowledge is, is not lost, that we have these opportunities to go back and return and keep building on our ambitions and dreams and that it never is too late to continue with your education. And as you said, it doesn't matter where you are, it's where you're headed on your journey. Definitely, doctor. And I always say, you must just put your eye on the ball. There will be challenges. No journey is straightforward. There will be hurdles. There will be uh, rivers to cross. There will be many. Nothing is straightforward in life. And we must appreciate because I always say, my challenges, my struggles, I always take them as lessons over and above being challenges because in every experience you go through as an individual, there's a lesson to learn because in that particular space, I learned resilience. In that particular space, I learned to appreciate my realities at that time. In that particular space, I had to appreciate that I'm not alone in this journey. There are many of us, but giving up was not an option giving up in terms of me getting, acquiring that particular qualification is not an option. You know, I would never give up on education. That's why even today, I continue to study, to pursue that particular qualification that I would have wanted to become a lawyer. But fortunately, I was given a better opportunity to become an advocate of the people through myself being a politician, through myself being an activist, through myself being a parliamentarian today. I'm even doing a much more better job than I would have been, I want to believe. But now I'm acquiring the necessary skill in terms of public management because I need to understand how policy uh, is it, it, done. I need to understand that being a politician is not only about advocating, but you must understand the process of advocacy. That's when public management degree becomes a critical element because my personal interest in public um, administration is public policy because that's where we integrate everything else. Society needs whether government is able to implement and what are the challenges that are leading to government not being able to deliver services as expected. You've really demonstrated this capacity of learning as we go and being able to add to our journeys to make a, a much more meaningful purpose and, and contribution. 
Hi, this is Lira, South African Afro Soul singer and songwriter. You're listening to Womanity, Women in Unity, presented by Dr. Amelia Malka on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance, a program that celebrates prominent and ordinary African women's milestone achievements in their struggle for liberation, self-emancipation, human rights and democracy. Today, we're talking to Ms. Dibulelo Kathleen Mahatsi from the African National Congress, who is a member of parliament that serves on the portfolio committees of higher education, science and technology, as well as agriculture, land reform and rural development. We would love to receive your comments on Twitter at Womanity Talk. Ms. Mahatsi, turning more towards a, a personal perspective, I, I know you're a, a mom of three young children, and there have always been struggles between juggling a career and accommodating motherhood. How do you see this and how do you manage it? Part of the work that I do, over and above being a member of parliament, I serve as the second deputy national secretary of the Young Communist League. I serve in the provincial structure of the ANC in the free state of the province that I come from. I also serve as a provincial executive committee member of the South African Communist Party. So you can see how a handful my hands are and they are quite full. But what becomes critical, my kids can never be secondary to any other business Uh, that I'm doing. I love my job, but I love my kids even more. How I begin to juggle all these issues is because as a woman, you ought to be a planner. You got to focus on the things that are quite important. And equally, you must have a strong support system, which is a family system. I'm a married woman, I've been married for 10 years, got married in 2011, but I've got a very support system from family members who really come through for me. And um, I do my mommy duties and my mommy duties will never be sacrificed for anything. That is why anyone who knows me would tell you that um, I'm obsessed with my children. They say I'm obsessed with my kids. But what becomes important is planning and also being able to be oriented in terms of what you need to achieve. In terms of the work that I do, I've got a particular program that I utilize as a structured program on how I do my life generally. For instance, during the week, I'm a mom. During the weekends, I do political work. I've got a dedicated time for my children and dedicated time for all the work that I do. And in most cases, where possible, I tend to integrate the work that I do as a politician. I tend to teach my kids what I do because advocacy is about teaching and also be able to take them with me when I do political work so that they can see what mommy does over and above being a politician, over and above being a parliamentarian. Because as as a society, we tend to glamorize the work of politicians and not take their kids along. They need to know what it means to become an activist, that being a parliamentarian is 
just not just a glamorous job where you sit in parliament, but it also requires you to work on the ground, do constituency work. That's why when I do some of the constituency work, I take my kids along. But what becomes important for me is the support structure that I have in my family, be it my husband, be it my siblings, be my extended family, that when I'm not there as a mother, when I'm, I'm unable to do my mommy duties, my sisters and my family members, they are able to come through. I also have got a very wonderful helper in my family, but in all honesty, being a mother is quite important and my kids are number one priority. Like I've indicated, I had three babies. Part of the struggles and the challenges I had is that two of them, they were born prematurely. Therefore, they need me more than any other individual in the family. However, it is important to keep the balance between the family and the political work and any other program that is outside that particular structure. As a woman who is in politics, we need support. You need mentors as well outside our own family. Women who are able to hold you by the hand and say, this is how it's done. We have gone through this particular journey. This is how we are going to guide you because you can't do it on your own. We need mentors. As much as I'm bringing other women along, there are women that I look up to. There are women when mental health issues come through, I'm able to take my call and say, Mom's Banban, can you please come through for me? I've got challenges in terms of one, two, three, four, five. So that particular system and that particular structure, that particular support system has been able to carry me through. You've given us such a wonderful, real insight, tourism into your life as a woman who is a mother, a woman who is a professional, a woman who works across multiple portfolios and has positions across different committees and is also studying. You lead a a very full, productive life. At the same time as being able to have it all, you've highlighted the fact of the support structures that are in place, the, the planning that is in place, the permission to be vulnerable and receive support and ask for help when you need it. Or, but it is about being real, true, and human. So, so thank you very much for, for sharing some of what you do that helps you be the person you are today. In keeping with this aspect of of the discussion, I wanted to ask you what you would consider to be parts of your recipe for for success as some of the key drivers that have helped you get to the position you're in today. Uh, Doctor, to me, character is everything. Character is everything in a sense that you must be the change that you want to see in society. You must keep your goals and believe that your dreams are valid. And coming from the rural, not actually rural, but the dusty streets of the township, where I've seen poverty, where I've seen young women fall pregnant, where I've seen young men fall into substance abuse, and so on. I had a mother who always reminded us that we do not have to be what our township was all about. We can be better people. And keeping that character 
it has helped me to succeed in life. Like I've said, I'm not immune from challenges of society. I had been a dropout in, in the university, but that has not stopped me to remain solid and to solidify my own dreams. That's why I live with a belief that my dreams are valid. And my activism is not about me alone, but is also to change the perception about society that I come from. Irrespective of where you come from, you can still succeed. So I keep that at the back of my mind. Even when I go through challenges, I remind myself that we don't have to be our past. We have a responsibility to change our society and make sure that we build a better future for our children. So that is what actually keeps me going. That is why I always say, one, my dreams are valid. Two, I must be the change that I want to see in society. Three, as I ascend to political power or echelons of power, I must bring other women along. So those are my three elements that moves me to say, as I ascend to whatever position in society, bring others along. Because when you want to see the change, it's not only you as an individual that's going to bring a change, but the entire society. Even if we have to help one person, change the perspective of one individual, it can actually resonate within society and change the entire society. That is a very powerful driving force. As we close out our conversation today, please, can you share a few words of inspiration that you'd like to pass on to girls and women in Africa that are listening to the show? You know, Doctor, it is important for our young women, especially young women, to continue to dream, to continue to be inspired. And their dreams, like I said, their dreams are valid. But dreams must be followed by action. You must move yourself irrespective of the challenges and the hurdles and whatever that comes before you. You must believe that you are an achiever and you will be able to succeed in life, but it becomes important that those dreams becomes activated through positive actions. And these positive actions will require you to empower yourself as a woman to say, I would empower myself, whether academically, I will empower myself either in becoming a, an activist in society because activism, activism is the fire that brings the necessary change in an individual. Therefore, I want to say to young women, it does not matter where you are now. Believe in yourself where there are support systems and support structures, knock at each and every door that can bring the necessary change into your life. And never let anybody tell you that you are unable to. If you believe anything, 
believe you me because I've given you, I've allowed myself to be vulnerable in this particular show to give you a spectrum in terms of what an ordinary South African or a young woman who come from the dusty streets of the township has become. And if I was able to move myself from that, so can you. If I'm able to change the perception that society has with women who are coming from the township and so on, I've made it, so can you. Therefore, your dreams are valid. Be the change that you want to see in society. As you ascend, bring another woman along. Thank you for that fantastic message. I feel inspired. Thank you for joining us. Thank you very much, Doctor. I'm very honored to be part of this show. And I'm, re- I'm hoping that young women in society would continue to pursue their dreams and believe in themselves and ensure that they become the change that they want to see in our society. Thank you very much. You have been listening to Womanity, Woman in Unity on Channel Africa, The African Perspective. And we have been talking to Ms. Tibolelo Kathleen Maklatsi from the African National Congress, who is a member of parliament amongst several other committees and serves on the portfolio committees of higher education, science and technology, as well as agriculture, land reform and rural development.